0: Welcome back to Twibley, or well, This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he got a free bowl of soup with that hat. It's <laughs> Jeff McLartouge. Uh,
1: hey, hey, everybody. Hey, Bill. It, that that hat looked good on me, though.
0: Yes, it did. It did. <laughs> What's up? What's going on? I don't know, man. It,
1: uh, you you seem to be the man who knows all the obscure holidays that we talk about on this show. But it's, it's like today, Power Tool Appreciation Day, because it seems like all of my neighbors are revving up their circular saws or their radial arm saws or their nail guns and compressors and stuff and I, I don't know what they're doing but it sounds like a lot of work and it's not just one neighbor, it's like three of them in a row around my house. You're- uh,
0: did you have that one neighbor that like built and tore down and rebuilt this deck like three times in one year? And the, the guy from the Winchester
1: mansion? He's still here. <laughs> he's one of them. He's one of them. Yeah, he's one of the guys that's out there with a circular saw. I don't even know what he's doing. It looks like he's just cutting two by fours into one four, four inch squares.
0: It's not in a band. It's <laughs> yeah. not an industrial band. So I don't um, know. Yeah,
1: the other day when I was uh, you
0: know researching the memes for the uh, for the Instagram page and the Facebook page, which why aren't you subscribed to out there? Yeah, one of those weird holidays that came up. I didn't post it. Was Rock Collection Day? Right.
1: Rock Collection Day.
0: So you people out there that stamp collecting is just a little too wild, you know. <laughs> calm <laughs> down, What's dude. What's this one?
1: You know what that makes me think of? Remember the Warner Brothers cartoon with the Acme Rock costume, <laughs> and on the side of the box it says, "Have fun, be popular, make friends, be a rock." Yes. <laughs> My favorite use of rock in in an unnecessarily funny context, I think, is is I've seen someone described as rock f- insane. Was this person Gary Busey by chance? It may very well have been. I think actually it was in reference to uh, his honor on Gary Busey Pet Judge. (laughs) Gary Busey
0: in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so has just been this, like, meme because he's Gary Busey, you know? But whenever I first started working at the, uh, the rent fair that I work for, so this is, like, 2004, right? I was trying to remember Gary Busey's name, but he was just an obscure actor at that point. You know, he wasn't, you know, tabloid fodder. Right. So I'm talking now I'm like, keep in mind, I'm a new guy. Nobody knows who I am. So I'm talking to this guy that works with me. I was like, hey, what's that actor's name there? He's, uh, he's kind of got like a big set of teeth right in the front of his mouth and he's kind of kooky looking. He played Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story. He's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he was in that movie Carney, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 that's him. Yeah, I can't think of his name. We couldn't think of it, right? So the next day, I came up with his name. You know, I, I went home and I looked on Internet Movie Database or whatever. And the next day, I come in and I go up to this guy. And then, like I said, I just met this person, you know. And he's talking to somebody. I go up to him and I go, Gary Busey. And he looks at me he goes, Gary Busey. Who the f*** is Gary Busey? <laughs> I was like, that's the, uh, that's the actor we were trying to think of yesterday. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 Gary Busey. And then, like, for years after that... That was our nickname for one another. We just called each other Gary Busey. Nice, nice. That's very funny.
1: That's, that's a way better bring around than Power Tool Appreciation Day. May the torque <laughs> be with you. All right, it's going to be
0: the week beginning November the 29th. But before we get started, I have my very widely popular and always well-received trivia question. Your good friend of mine, Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense, made many, uh, uh, many a movie. One of my favorites, Psycho. Our friend Alfred Hitchcock had a very irrational fear. As a matter of fact, he referred to himself as a ovophobe. A what? Ovophobe. 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 o-v-o-phobe. O-V-O-F. Um, ovophobe, yeah.
1: <laughs> There's no F in ovophobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. O- O-V-O-P-H-O-B-E. I think I know the answer to this trivia question. I think this is going to be the beginning of another run, Bill.
0: Another run! Run to five! We strive to get five. We'll see. We'll see if this starts. All right. This is the week beginning, November the 29th, and it is your turn to start. So, start. Ah. November 29th,
1: 1972, the co-founder of Atari, a guy named Nolan Bushnell, who in video game history his name comes up a lot, releases Pong, the very first commercially successful video game, and it was released into a place called Andy Cap's Tavern in Sunnyvale, California. This is the first coin-operated video game. It must have made a ton of quarters.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. That was like, you know, big novelty kind of a thing. I remember being like five years old, and we had an arcade in the local mall, and they didn't really have video games per se. They had a lot of pinball machines and stuff like that. But video games, you know, slowly but surely took over. But Pong, yeah, I remember seeing Pong as a a very little kid, or at least I have like a Mandela uh, version of that memory.
1: (laughs) I saw the original Pong machine at a place up here in New Hampshire called Fun Spot. They have one of the original first run of the Atari Pong cabinets. It's yellow. It's got uh, two cranks or two dials on it that you use to control the paddles. And it's effectively like a digital table tennis game.
0: I've, I've seen that one too, yeah. I've been to I've been this fun spot that's a cool little, not little, it's big. It's a
1: and, cool arcade, yeah. And I'll tell you, the be, you know what the best thing about Pong is? I, I played it when I was there. I played it with my son. Is yeah. how much thought and effort they put into the soundtrack for that game. <laughs> it goes like this. Boop. 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 And then that somebody missed. There's no sound for that. <laughs> and then it starts again boop. It's awesome. You can sing along with it all day.
0: Uh, Not long after Pong, because Pong, you needed two people to play, and they came up with an idea like, how can we play Pong by ourselves? And then Breakout became an arcade thing. That was like a a one-man version of Pong. Remember Breakout?
1: Yeah, and Breakout was programmed by Steve Jobs and sold to Nolan Bushnell at Atari. Oh,
0: wow. That's cool. I did not know that. I did not know that Steve Jobs programmed Breakout. No kidding. That was him. I remember being like a little kid and being at the bowling alley because my parents were bowlers and stuff like that. And we had a home version of Breakout, you know, on the TV before, you know, before the Atari, it was like a uh, standalone. Yes. You know, Sears thing. Yep. You know, there was like these older guys, you know, they could have been in their fifties for all I knew, but they were probably just older teenagers or whatever. Right. And, you know, here's me. I'm like eight and they're like, you know how to play this? And I'm like, yeah, man, I got this at home. Right. Right. So. I'm all, like, boasting like I'm going to be good at it. Three balls in a row, three misses. Never hit a single brick.
1: That's terrible.
0: Yeah, the, the coordination just wasn't the same as the one at home. And there was, <laughs> Needless to say, I, like, walked away with my head down, just
1: boom. I had, I think it was a Magnavox version with two sliders that controlled the paddles. And yeah. you could play Pong or Squash, which was like playing against a wall, or Doubles Pong. And it just moved the two two of the things. On each side.
0: And what's hilarious about all that is the code. Like, literally, I've written longer emails.
1: Yeah, yes. I've, ri- I've
0: written longer text messages than the code for Pong. Like
1: I, like I said, I, I fall back, even though over a single TV speaker, man. The soundtrack of that game is amazing. Yep.
0: Boop. All right, so let's move on to the 30th, which uh, this is a much better soundtrack. Uh, November the 30th, 1982, Michael Jackson releases his Thriller album. So, uh, Thriller seems like, you know, pretty groundbreaking and almost like a debut album for Michael Jackson, but it was actually his sixth solo album. Yeah. He put out two albums in 1972, Got to Be There, and the soundtrack to the movie Ben. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) And then there was
0: Music and Me, Forever Michael, Off the Wall, which was a huge hit, but didn't have any videos on MTV, and we've discussed that many times. And then... Thriller. Thriller was just absolutely...
1: It's arguably his where Michael Jackson crossed over into super mainstream, ginormo pop status worldwide. Uh, yeah, and like seemingly overnight, too. Seemingly overnight. Although, if you go back and you listen to his earlier records, like Off the Wall is a disco record. And Thriller just isn't. There's all kinds of different stuff on Thriller. There's dance music. There's Beat It, which has an Eddie Van Halen guitar solo in the middle, which draws in all the, like, the metal fans at the time. Right, Billy Jean, which is a straight up pop song, that's not a disco song and it's not a rock and roll song. It just it sort of creates its own universe of pop music that then effectively bursts pop music in the 1980s.
0: And uh, don't forget his duet with uh, our friend Paul Mac- the the recently deceased Paul McCartney <laughs> with The Girl Is Mine.
1: Right. Yeah. Yes, that's best no, he said about, about, about that, that song the best, best. Yeah. and not long after that it was the doggone Beatles catalog is mine <laughs> uh, and that it was revolution number 9 was used to sell <laughs> Nikes courtesy of Michael Jackson anyway but the point is like the, again I'm a pop music I like pop music Yeah. and I'll go out on a limb and say there is not a dud track on this record mm-hmm. it's as good as everything he did that came after it and everything he did that came after it is excellent and doesn't have a dud track on it So it's like this is the start of effectively like a a winning season or whatever of everything (laughs) that he does after this is as good as this. He doesn't have the sophomore slump, you know. Oh,
0: yeah. It took him five albums to get here.
1: That's why. Right. It took him five albums to get here. But like he never peaked after this. He plateaued, but he plateaued wicked high.
0: I think the worst thing that happened to him is whenever he tried to take his brothers along with him and everybody's like, yeah, we don't like them. We like you.
1: I remember Jermaine Jackson played the Lincoln Park Ballroom right before it burned down. Oh, really? I wanted to go so badly because I loved the Jackson Five when I was a kid. Still love them. Yeah, and I was like, Jermaine Jackson, man, I can see him. He's in New bed for my mom was like, no. <laughs> and then you know, by the next year, that whole place was gone. But then he did like the Victory Tour with the Jacksons, and that was a huge, huge thing. And that record isn't terrible either. It's not as good it's, as his other stuff, but... Yeah, again, it's, it's, holy, it's wholly forgettable, that's the whole it's, thing. Yeah, it's wholly forgettable, but it's not a bad record. I could go back and put it on and be like, oh, you know what, this sucks. good. This sucks good too. Oh, Victory, good song.
0: You know how I'm doing that album a day thing, yeah. right? So I actually picked Thriller as one of the albums that I would listen to earlier in the year because I said, oh, I've never actually listened to this album. I am not a pop music guy. right? And I have actually listened to this album because... Out of the nine songs, seven of them were singles. Yep. So the only songs on here that I did not know were Baby Be Mine and The Lady in My Life. I knew the lady in my life kind of because Eddie Murphy did a Michael Jackson impersonation and he sang that song. song.
1: Yes, I, rem- yeah. I remember that too. Yes. So I basically
0: didn't know Baby, Mi- Baby Be Mine, which is the second track. So I'm listening to it. I was like, okay, I want to be starting something. I know this. Yep. And then, oh, I don't know this one. And then the rest of the album I know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's fantastic record.
0: All right, let's move on to the
1: first. December the, wow,
0: December the 1st. Oh.
1: Ready. The home stretch. December first, nineteen thirteen. The first drive-up gas station opens in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
0: <laughs> Wait, the, the first drive-up gas station. What did they do before? Just like
1: hurl it at you <laughs> as you drive by? Yeah, you just had to. You had to walk up. Like, hi, I need some gas for my car, which is a hundred yards over that way. I don't know. I th- I think it probably was more like Ford wasn't selling the Model T till nineteen ten, right? Right. So. There's a whole bunch of infrastructure you kind of have to figure out if these cars are going to be popular. Right. And I don't think in the first three years they'd be, I mean, they were popular, but there just isn't the density of them to warrant figuring out how to give them fuel. I think it's kind of like the way you buy kerosene now where you'd go to the hardware store and say like, give me five gallons of kerosene. And they'd put it in a can for you and then you'd walk
0: home. Oh, like the way you buy the propane in right. the, uh, the cans and stuff like that. You get them refilled and stuff.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. That. Yeah. That does make
0: sense. Like the chicken has to come before the egg. Right. You're not gonna open up a gas station if there's no cars. Like. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> the gas station filled the dreams.
1: It seems like it probably would have been most likely that it was places that had opened up that serviced cars and carriages. Yep. So places that did repairs and like, oh, you bring your Model T in and like, I yeah, I'm out of fuel or I got to get fuel. And they're like, oh, we've got a bucket in the back. Hold on. I'll go I get need, you I need gallons. a new horse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't <laughs> let the horse drink the gasoline. Oh sh- And then somebody was like, you know. If we did away with the whole horse aspect of this business and just did the gasoline thing, we're gonna make a ton of money. What are and- we gonna do with all these oats? <laughs> <laughs> There's shoes everywhere. We'll call ourselves Horseshoe Acres Gas Station. And that's probably kinda what happened is they're like, take your horse and get the hell out of here. We only service cars now. <laughs> Line from Star Wars. We don't serve your kind here. <laughs> to the
0: horses. You and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to December the 2nd. December the 2nd, 1988. From the files of Police Squad, <laughs> The Naked Gun. Uh, the first movie in the Naked Gun series opens in
1: theaters. I don't know if you watched Police Squad when it was on uh, the short, short, like six episodes that aired out of 10 on TV, but I did.
0: I've seen them. I don't recall it being on television.
1: I watched them on TV. And yep. thought they were hilarious. And this movie came out in 88. I think that show was on in, like, 82. The show was a
0: response to the popularity of the airplane, airplane movies. Yep. And, it was, you know, it was the same people as uh, the Zucker Brothers. Mm-hmm. It didn't do well on TV because you had to pay attention too much. Yeah. You know, at that, that time, you know everything's different now. But right. in the early 80s, you know, dad comes home from the factory, eats supper. And the last thing he wants, he just wants to unwind and relax. Right. You know? He doesn't want to have to sit there and like pay attention to everything, right. and and th- and that's why the television series failed. But the movies were all three of them were fantastic and and great success too. Uh,
1: Naked Gun, I think the first two films were based on unshot scripts okay. from the the TV series. So the right. "I will kill the queen" part thing that was all part of the show, um, right?
0: And ergo the from the files of police squad.
1: Right. I remember seeing it in the cinema and like just. Peels of laughter from me and my friends who were there.
0: I saw it in the theater and I freaking hated it and, and did not like that movie until I saw it again on like home video or whenever it ran on HBO or something like that. And that movie, the first one, is absolutely hysterical. The reason why I hated it is because I get situated behind a very large individual with a jean jacket with a white snake patch on the collar. I know this because that's all I saw for the whole damn movie because he was like right in front of me and the the theaters at that time didn't have like the stadium-style seating like they have now. They just had crappy, you know, if you got somebody in front of you, now you can't see. Well, I had this like wall of a white snake fan in front of me And he could not get comfortable because he kept on shifting his weight from left to right to left to right.
1: So I never watched the movie. I never saw anything. You saw the special edition, the back of his head edition.
0: Yeah, I saw the white snake edition. I was like, ah,
1: this this band sucks. Uh, Yeah. What's
0: your favorite joke? If you could nail it down to one joke out of the Naked Gun movies, what's your favorite one?
1: My favorite joke, and it's the one joke that they use to reference another source. Okay. So, okay, there's a joke in that movie where Frank Drebin goes to the mayor's office and she reads off all these terrible things that he did, like he killed this fish, he ripped the part off of this priceless statue. Yep. She says, I don't want to have another incident like last year, Detective Drebin. And he says, look, when I see four guys stab another guy to death in the park, I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. <laughs> and she says, that was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar. That's very funny. That is almost a direct quote from Dirty Harry. Oh, is it? So yeah, in Dirty Harry, there's a scene right in the beginning where he was brought into the mayor's office and the mayor goes, we don't want to have what happened last year in the Heights, Harry. And he goes, when I see a guy running down the street with an erection chasing a woman, I shoot the bastard. That's my policy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when I saw that in, in The Naked Gun, I laughed very hard. Oh, I didn't realize that was a,
0: uh, a reference. Uh,
1: almost a direct quote. It's so funny. Yeah.
0: So my uh, my favorite quote comes from part two. Robert uh-huh. Goulet played the villain in that movie. Yes. What makes Leslie Nielsen so funny is he was a dramatic actor yes. his whole life prior to Airplane. So he has this beautiful deadpan delivery yep. where he could say the most ridiculous thing, but with a straight face. <laughs> so he says to Priscilla Presley, he's like, do you have a description of the uh, suspect? She's like, uh, it was a white guy, mustache, about six foot two. And, and and straight face, he goes, it's an awfully big mustache.
1: Yeah, I like I I those kind of white word jokes, awfully big mustache. Like a
0: midget at a urinal, I was going to have to stay on my toes. Like a blind man in an orgy, I was going to have to feel my way around.
1: Yes, oh, this is so funny.
0: My friend Brian. Met him at a comic con, like one of his, you know, last appearances and stuff like that. And he told Leslie Nielsen a joke, you know, just a quick, like, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, how many, how many Kennedys did it take to screw in a light bulb, kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And then Leslie Nielsen told him a joke back. And then Brian told him a joke, and they went back and forth for like five or six jokes each. Oh, nice. And then Leslie Nielsen goes, "Hold on, stop. You're good."
1: <laughs>
0: and that's like one of my friend brian's like proudest moments he got oh, the man. uh yeah he got the seal of approval from leslie nielsen that's very awesome
1: all right moving on to december the 3rd december the 3rd 1984 bill with one l's favorite christmas song is is sung and released in the uk and it is do they know it's christmas the single oh, i thought by you were
0: gonna say i want a hippopotamus for christmas
1: no because i know that's not your favorite christmas song it's i know one this of one of is it's one yes. of them though.
0: I unashamedly love Band-Aids, Do They Know It's
1: Christmas? Yes. Well, it was released on this day in 1984.
0: I uh, I know a lot of people don't like that song. Bob Gildoff, the writer of the song, being one of them.
1: I'm with Bob on this one. The song bites, yeah.
0: (laughs) I like it because I don't really have a huge family. I have one relative left, one blood relative left, left, my brother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's married and, you know, he has in-laws and... You know, they invite me over to, you know, their stuff, you know, every year. And, you know, some years I go, some years I don't. Like, so the whole, like, family aspect of Christmas is almost lost on me, has been for a long time. But I always thought that the story behind Band-Aid was an intriguing one where Bob Gildorf was sitting home and he's, you know, one of those commercials of, uh, you know, showing the famine in, in Africa and he was like, like we could do something about this. And instead of just, you know, waiting for the commercial to be over, he did something about it. And they raised a cuckoo bananas amount of money for famine relief. It's true. Like every 10 years, they re-record the single... I can't remember ever liking any of the subsequent sig- singles that they've re-recorded. Right. I guess they're due for another one sometime soon, another couple of years. But that was like the first domino, too, that opened the floodgates for so many others that came after that, like USA for Africa and whatnot.
1: Let me just remind the, the universe that it, was, it, started, it kind of started with this song. hmm Right. But the pinnacle of the terrible song to raise money for a good charity is attached to, there's a a comedy uh, festival that raises money for cancer research in England. And they did a song when I lived there going to college. And it was the Mr. Blobby song by Mr. Blobby, which is a song that just goes... Blobby, 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 blobby blobby, <laughs> blobby, 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 and is idiotic and the dumbest thing you can hear on the radio.
0: I watch a wrestling YouTube channel and they actually made rest- reference to Mister Blobby because they're they're a British channel and they made yes. reference to Mister Blobby not all that long ago and I was like, oh, that's probably some quirky British thing that I don't understand. So
1: that's that song hit the top forty when I lived there. Oh and really? He's like yellow. I purple, have it right? somewhere. I have it Do somewhere you? on tape. Yeah, I have it on tape someplace because we taped the time girl would become my wife, Cindy, and and I were trying to capture as much weird British stuff as we could, knowing that we were coming back to the U.S. We recorded a couple of the top ten segments. Yeah. And one of the ones that we have has the Mr Blobby song on it. Yes. Nice. <laughs> blobby, Blobby, Blobby.
0: <laughs> and let's go on to the fourth, December the fourth, two thousand and six. An adult giant squid is caught on video by Dr. Kubadera near the Okasawara Islands, Uh, so about 620 miles south of Tokyo, to give you a a map. Yeah, it was like the first time a giant squid had been seen on video. You know, up until that time, it was kind of like the Kraken.
1: You know, it was almost like a cryptoid. It was almost a cryptid, and they found dead bodies. Mm -hmm. That had washed up or that had been brought up in nets, but they were almost always dead uh, or had lived for a very short time. None have ever been seen just sort of swimming around doing the squid thing, whatever the squid (laughs) thing happens to be. Squidding, yeah. Right? Again, there have been stories of this animal for hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of years, captured in drawings and stuff. Right. How they ended up catching this one, Dr. Cubadera's plan was like, well, I know that they catch them here in fishing nets every now and then. Maybe if I hang some bait really deep and I stick a video camera on the end of the the line looking down at the bait, I might see one. Get down there with my GoPro, right? And that's kind of what he, yeah, that's literally kind of what he did. He got down there with his GoPro. He got the first pictures and the first video of a giant squid coming up and wrapping itself around bait. There was another expedition that he was on a year later, two years later, with another group who were trying to get them to, to show them feeding or something. And there was it was him and two other doctors, one whose plan was to use ground-up squid, because there's hormones in squid, apparently, Yeah. To, and spray that around. And a woman who still catches images of giant squid with a lit-up ball that flashes a specific pattern and that seems to draw them in. And then this Dr. Cupidera guy who does <laughs> that. The, re-
0: that he- reminds me of the jellyfish rave party from SpongeBob Squid pants.
1: <laughs> Yes. Yes. And that's uncannily like what this blobby <laughs> ball looks like. But in... in, 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 in a, <laughs> And this other, this third thing was like financed by the Discovery Channel. And the the guy with the ground up all the squid things, he didn't get anywhere. He got nowhere. He talked, talked a game. He's an Australian guy. I can't remember what his name was. I watched the show. The guy's got no friends because he just thinks like chum all the time. Well, like- <laughs> this is what This is what I was thinking, right? This is his rationale. Well, if I grind up all these female squid or male squid... And I squirt him out there, all these ground-up pieces, it's bound to bring in some that are going to be horny for squid. And I thought to myself, like, this dude better not have a Tinder profile. Because <laughs> he's going to be like, oh, I'll just grind up all these prostitutes and roll around in their effluent. And then... What's that set you're wearing? He opens so, the door so, and there's like just people out there like, hey, <laughs> smells like sex in here.
0: Yeah, you smell nice.
1: That's Puerto Rican
0: intestines.
1: <laughs> I'm feeling a little
0: spicy tonight. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, and, at any rate, the mystery of sort of how they live is, and, and how they feed stuff is, it's not solved, but we have a lot more information than we did before. What's kind of cool is like right around this time too, there was a boat in the Antarctic Sea that pulled up a colossal squid, which is like a giant squid, only surprisingly amount larger. Yeah, yeah you want to see a really big squid? See, yeah, exactly. It's one of those like, oh, you think that, you think that thing's big, huh? Look at this guy, you know. It turned into like a squid dick swinging party. Right. And that thing was ginormous. Admittedly, that one was caught in a net, but it it was humongous. All right. And wrapping up the week. December 5th, 1933, which should be one of our holidays, Bill. A holiday called the End of Prohibition Holiday. I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. <laughs> after, after what was a surprisingly short run of enforced prohibition in the United States, the, the U.S. learned that, you know, we made it illegal for people to buy and sell uh, alcohol. And transport. And transport alcohol. Now we've got guys who transport, buy and sell alcohol, who shoot people, who get involved in their business. There's a lot of money changing hands that we're not taxing. People are starting to do things like drink alcohol made out of old sofas like wood alcohol, and it's making him go blind and deaf.
0: Prison wine, yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe what we ought to do is like unban this so we can regulate it and tax it. And that's what they did. And there was money to be made, yep. And yet the lesson of this story has not been learned. (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to other substances my grandmother
0: used to tell us stories that like her uncles were all like rum runners and stuff like that during the during the prohibition right basically i come from a long line of like drug
1: dealers essentially yeah well that's kind of yeah. that's kind of what it was yeah you get mules like hey you got a boat right for french canadians hey francois you got a boat ah, i got yeah. that boat hey joan yeah <laughs> hey, black jacques Chaloc. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking a canoe across, you know, Lake Champlain with, you know, two cases of Canadian club in the back. The thing is, like, the Prohibition came about for a couple of different reasons. One was there was an evangelical movement that glommed onto it. Two, it was a way to break the back of organizing in the at the turn of the century. Yep. Around the turn of the century is where it started. Like, if you watch the Ken Burns documentary on Prohibition, which I recommend to everybody, it was amazing. And in that, like, beer companies, Schlitz and Bush and some of the others used to be Beer distributors they'd also own buildings and at, that were saloons and just sell their own beer. Mm-hmm. And in some cases they'd give away food. So they'd give away like really salty food to people
0: who yeah. like worked pretzels? With- I was just about to say he probably gave away pretzels. Not just pretzels,
1: but like soup and sandwiches too that were super yeah. salty. Like you know, think of like a sandwich made with summer sausage or, or pepperoni or right? anything
0: Domino sells. Yeah,
1: but they give it away so that you'd be like, I'll have one of those change schlitzes, um, <laughs> you know, because you need it to something or you're gonna die. That's pretty yep. much. You have to wash something out of your system. Those places became places where people who worked in factories and in in, in meat packing houses and in lumber companies and in mills would go and socialize, and they'd organize there too. Yeah. The first thing that the prohibition movement did was they broke vertical integration. Ultimately, that's what happened in Hollywood later too. Is it made it illegal for companies that produce alcohol to own the places where the alcohol is vended? Ah. So that they closed those saloons down, and then they made it illegal to sell alcohol down the road and because of that it helped to do things like circumvent a a component in the organization of the labor movement in early early part of the the 20th century I like history Bill I I like this podcast because of it yes I was like can
0: we get a couple of jokes in there too please (laughs) interesting though is whenever it ended uh Basically, what happened was it ended slowly. It didn't end overnight. Utah was actually the 36th state to ratify the 21st Amendment, and that gave it the necessary, you know, supermajority 75% of the states needed to make the amendment, you know?
1: Right. And ironically, um, Utah is still dry, (laughs) it's dry as the desert it's built on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what, what did you tell me earlier? It was yeah, like I the, think you can. I think the only thing you can buy in Utah is three point two beer, three point two percent alcohol beer, and that goes back to our days of uh, of uh, sure, Mac, sure. Those <laughs> <laughs> pour it in, pour it out. Yeah, I remember that. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And that was actually the first time a U.S. constitutional amendment was ever repealed. You can repeal a constitutional amendment bill. Yes, you can. All right. So going on to the celebrity birthdays, November the 29th, 1955, America's favorite germaphobe,
1: Howie Mandel. Oh, hey, I saw him live at UMass Dartmouth.
0: Did you? Oh, you know, I wanted to go see that. I used to love Howie Mandel's stand up. Ah, It was
1: he was wicked funny.
0: He didn't really have like a, a, a lot of routine, so to speak. He just did a lot of improv, like talking with the audience kind of comedy. I mean he, he did told, have a couple of jokes here and there, but nah, most he was, of it a, was, he was all... like a
1: storyteller. It was all yeah. observational stuff. He was super funny. He did characters and things too. Yep. But it was a lot of interaction with the crowd. He was really funny and really, really engaging.
0: Yeah, I always wanted to see him whenever he was doing stand up. I mean now he's a, a judge on a gazillion different shows. And he used to do deal or no deal, but oh, that's yeah. right.
1: yeah, that's right. yeah.
0: but he actually started out on uh, uh, like on a TV drama. He was on St. elsewhere. Remember that? Was that before or after
1: Bobby's world, though? before? Was, that, was it before? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. okay. yeah, my like his... my knowledge of medical TV shows is very, very limited. He does have a comedy
0: album. it's called Fits Like a Glove because one of Howie Mandel's first gimmicks is yeah. he used to put a a latex rubber surgical glove over his head, and then inflate it with his nose.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did that when I saw him live. Yep, uh, that was yes. his, like his big gimmick, yep. It's still funny. <laughs> I don't know that he does it anymore, but when I think about it, I remember it, and it was it was funny then, it's still funny to me now. Moving on. November 30th, 1874, Winston Churchill. British Prime Minister during World War II and winner of the 1953 Nobel Prize for Literature. He was born in Blenheim Palace, Woodstock, Oxfordshire, England. He was also, in World War I, the uh, first Lord of the Admiralty who caused a ton of death by planning the invasion of the Dardanelles. So he's, he's got a weird checkered history, but in World War II he really kind of came into his own as a power maker and a guy who could rally the Brits to not give up in the face of the Blitz.
0: I think most of Generation X first learned about Winston Churchill from... Iron Maiden's live after death album.
1: (laughs) I will never forget that because that's what the last thing I heard as they put me out, uh, as they told me I was getting open heart surgery. That was that. We'll fight them in the streets. We'll fight them in the air. We'll, We'll throw shoes at them possibly or kick them in the shins. (laughs) <laughs> we'll tell them that they smell. We we'll shall
0: pinch them behind twist. the arm on the tricep.
1: <laughs> well, they will twist their ears like our grandmothers did to us when we were petulant children.
0: We shall give them all purple nurples.
1: They will be wedged. <laughs> they will be swirled.
0: They will receive it wet, <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to December the 1st, 1940, stand-up comedian extraordinaire, later um, movie star Richard
1: Pryor. Yeah, the man who redefined American stand-up comedy, film comedy, and TV comedy in the 1970s. Again, we talk about the 1970s as this transitional decade. Couldn't exist without Richard Pryor.
0: And absolutely, like, not just broke down walls, just destroyed with, like, a big wrecking ball.
1: Personally Uh, held up the uh, economy of Columbia for a couple of years, too.
0: (laughs) Yes, he did. Richard Pryor, not only did he make a lot of jokes, he did a lot of drugs, a A whole lot of drugs. Uh, Very, very funny man. Even in the later stages of his life when he had a lot of his um, physical problems, mm-hmm. I remember seeing him. He was in a wheelchair, and he had a hard time getting his words out because he had you know, a, a number of strokes. But even though he couldn't walk and he could barely speak, he was still cracking jokes. He was still being very, very funny.
1: Yeah, he had. I think he had multiple sclerosis. That was his, his, uh, his affliction. That yes. ultimately killed him Yeah it was MS
0: Did a number of movies With our good friend Gene Wilder
1: mm-hmm. And he, he was inspirational To like the comedians That came after him I know Eddie Murphy Made the Harlem Nights movie With him Yep Because he was so Influenced by Richard Pryor And Chris right. Rock And others as well
0: Yeah you can oh. see Like domino yeah. effect You see Richard Pryor Influences Eddie Murphy Who influences Chris Rock Who influences Chris Tucker yep. You can see Yeah it all go down the line And you notice Sinbad
1: Isn't in there anywhere <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's too busy starring in Shazam 2. Yes. Shazamining. He's too busy time traveling and messing (laughs) up the... uh... Jumping between the multiverses. All right, moving on to the second. December 2nd, 1968, Asian American actress Lucy Liu. She's born in Jackson Heights in Queens, New York. Yep, I know her best, uh, not from Ally McBeal, because that wasn't a show that I watched, but as Oren Ishii in Kill Bill Volume 1.
0: I am embarrassed to say that I know her best from the Charlie's Angel
1: movie. I was going to throw that in there second, which I've only sat through that movie once.
0: But my my boy crush Sam Rockwell is in that too, so.
1: Well, see, one of my favorites, Crispin Glover, is in that one as well. He's one of the villains. He's the main one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of the movie's not good, but he's good in it. Everybody everything about that movie is good well, except for What's one of those? Movie. It's like it's like you've got all ingredients to make <laughs> a fantastic movie and just none of it works together. It's like it's like if you're trying to make a cake and you put it all together and you you just you don't know what you messed up but you messed up something.
0: Yeah, it's like I love bananas
1: and I love barbecue sauce. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, you know what? You know what's going to make this vanilla yellow cake even better? Some sardines.
0: Hey, you know what goes great with pineapple upside down cake?
1: Bats. And on, <laughs> I was going to say Sriracha. And, and on December the 3rd,
0: 1948, our good friend Ozzy Osbourne is leashed
1: unto the world. Uh, this is a beautiful birthday for me. I,
0: I snorted some ants. Earlier today, uh, earlier in the show, we dropped a lot of F-bombs and we had to edit out a lot of F-bombs. But I have to say another one. Okay. Ozzy Osbourne is so f***ed up. <laughs> he is a, he's funny. But in the best possible way, yeah. yeah like, if yeah. you ever look, if you ever see him, like, in shorts and stuff like that, you look, and he has, like, these prison tattoos on his kneecaps of smiley faces. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he goes, so whenever I wake up in the morning, the first thing I see is something smiling at me. The guy's <laughs> such
1: a freaking weirdo. Well, that makes me wonder, like, how do you sleep where the first thing you see when you open your eyes is your kneecaps?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another, yeah. I don't think he thought that one all the way through, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I should have put him on my hands. <laughs> Sharon, why didn't I put him on my hands?
1: <laughs> I don't know, Ozzy, shut up! Uh,
0: my favorite Ozzy Osbourne quote was, "He's like, my daughter told me, she says, Daddy, I got some friends coming over. Could you please watch your language when they're here? And I said, oh, what the f-? Do you want me to say that?
1: <laughs> his show, the Osbournes. Well, yeah. it wasn't his show, but the show, the Osbournes, was. Uh, it was. It was entertaining that first yep. season or two. And then it became like, like uh, I don't know if Ozzy, we should be watching this because that was at the end of the second season. I think he relapsed into drinking and 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 pills for a little while.
0: Yeah, it was like watching a toilet flush at that point. Yeah, I went by that house when uh, whenever I was in LA. I got to see the house. He's got gargoyles like on the on the door knockers and stuff like that.
1: I remember and that they, they talked about how much they loved their neighbor, Pat Boone, that he was like <laughs> the best neighbor they ever had, and, and he was so nice. And I was like, I this is, what a wonderful world we live in, Bill.
0: And uh, I think we should probably mention at one point or another that Ozzy Osbourne used to sing for Black Sabbath. Okay, moving on to the next.
1: Yes. December 4th, 1954, character actor Tony Todd, star of the Candyman franchise. Uh, but also, like in, I think every incarnation of Star Trek since The Next Generation as a Klingon or other had a big part in The Next Generation and in Deep Space Nine as Worf's brother.
0: And he pops up a lot as like in cameo roles in other movies too, like in the Hatchet series, uh, which was like a, a throwback to 1980s slashers. Uh, Tony Todd pops up as like a, a voodoo shop owner.
1: Oh, nice. And of course, his greatest role, the greatest role he ever had, is as Shonuff the Shogun of Harlem in The Last Dragon. Oh, go on. He is so fun to watch that movie. It's amazing.
0: We just went to see, well, just a couple of months ago. Um, it was actually the first movie that I saw in the theater, uh, you know, uh, post-lockdown. Uh, I went to see the Candyman, I don't even know what you would call it, reboot, post, yep. post-sequel, yeah. whatever. They gave it the Halloween treatment where it was a sequel to the original that kind of like forgot all the subsequent sequels like there yeah. was little nods to it but it basically followed the Canon of the first movie
1: yeah Godzilla and, 1954 to Godzilla 1984. oh yeah it skips everything in between yeah okay. <laughs> no that happened
0: yeah so and how they did that recently with Halloween yeah um, although Halloween kills just came out this year too right it was good it was good but unnecessary you know I uh I never thought sat there and thought I wonder what would happen if uh they didn't have parts two and three
1: you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and wrapping up the birthdays on December the 5th, 1901, Walt Elias Disney. Yeah, oh. his middle name's Elias.
1: Elias.
0: Now, Walt Disney you may have heard of. Walt Disney was an animator and a cartoonist. Is he a land or a world? You no, know, he passed away from cancer in 1966. He may or may not have been frozen to preserve his body uh, for of they cure said cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he was still alive, he would be 120 years old. But... He would also own everything because Disney owns
1: everything. There's an entertainment company that's going to figure out the technology to cure cancer, so they can bring Walt Disney back. It's the Walt Disney Corporation.
0: That's what they're doing. They're just trying to make enough money right. to unfreeze Walt. Soon. Yeah.
1: soon, there's probably like a cult that lives under the park, like, and there's Walt in his giant iceberg. It's it's, it's sort of glowing icy blue, and there's there's steam dripping off of it,
0: and they're like, soon, Walt, soon. Yeah, it turns Ooh. out the rent at the Cryogenics lab is really <laughs> expensive. Oh, and pss, guess what? Da, 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 da. The Worst Song Ever. All right, Jeff, what's in the canon? What have right. we got, what what do we got loaded up for Worst Song Ever All right, week?
1: we got loaded up for Worst Song Ever. We've got, this is what I call a low-hanging fruit Worst Song Ever, but okay. there's a twist to it. Brace yourself, world. Bill and I have been doing this show now for 285 months, it feels like. Uh yeah. 7,000 episodes. And in this whole time, we've talked about everybody from Legendary Stardust Cowboy to Didi Ramon. Didi Ramon. And yet, we have barely scratched the surface of what truly makes a song awful. But today, however, that surface shall be scratched. So today's worst song ever is brought to us by Canadian superstars Nickelback. Who?
0: Low-hanging fruit, dude. That's, like a,
1: that's like a potato. That's like that's underground. Exactly. <laughs> such low-hanging fruit, it's a potato. You have to yeah. dig to it to get to it.
0: Nickelback like, Wildly known for being the worst band of all time.
1: Right. But the, like here's here's the weird dichotomy about Nickelback. Yeah. So they kinda suck, but they suck a lot more because it's funny to make fun of them. Right. I think. And that influences how people perceive them. Right. I have people in my extended family who will literally stab me in the face if they hear me talk smack about Chad Kroger and the rest of the Canadian mounted royal crap band. <laughs> I understand why they like it Do because you? their music is their music is very safe. So anyway, so let me get to the song, right? So uh, representative song of the worst song ever Okay. of Of Nickelback is Photograph. Oh,
0: yeah. Let's play the clip, and then we shall dissect this like a frog in junior year of science class. All right, here's our clip. You know, lyrically, this song
1: is what I would call hilarious. It's very observational. Look at my coffee cup. I drank the coffee up. Sitting on my desk today. I can't think of anything that rhymes with hay. <laughs> they get accused of being like lazy songwriters, but they're lazy songwriters the same way Coldplay is lazy songwriters. Coldplay songs are as dumb as you can get. And I love Coldplay. I just don't like the sound of the music that comes out of Nickelback CDs or streaming services or record albums, right? There was and-
0: a video that I had seen one time where they took like two Nickelback songs and they played them you simultaneously. Played them together. Yes. And they just like fit perfectly one over the other they had the exact same chord progression the same beats per minute it was the same song it was like they plagiarized themselves i'm taking this guy to court i'm taking yeah i'm taking this kroger guy to court
1: (laughs) that's not something i haven't seen i have seen that same youtube video there's a couple of them that are like that right where they really get they get sort of shh I don't want to say the S word, but sh on. Is because they were on Roadrunner Records. They are they were they're picked up by Roadrunner Records. Roadrunner Records is where Slipknot comes from and a bunch of bands that sound like Slipknot. So they basically did a lot of new metal. Okay. So that's the equivalent of like Metal Blade Records picking up like the Backstreet Boys revival. Or something, like right, yeah. Or something. It's just so out of tune. And then they put a ton of money into Nickelback and s- sort of shorted some of the other bands. If there's one thing that you can say, especially about metal fans, uh-huh. more than anybody else, is like they are label conscious. They know Metal Blade Records. They know R- Roadrunner Records. They know the artists on there. There's a stable of artists that they listen to. Right. That's a type of music that they put out. Like they're fans of that label. Oh, yeah. bands on that label.
0: Like you and I were fans of alternative tentacles. Alternative tentacles, yeah. Yep. And then back in the, you know, whenever the Meteor of Nirvana hit in the early 90s, everybody knew who Sub Pop was. Right, yeah.
1: Right, exactly. So when you end up with an audience that is not for this particular band, but because they're in the family, I'm saying family with air quotes, and I feel like I'm Vin Diesel going family, um, is it draws in other people who ultimately become fans of the music that you like. That's like Slipknot or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. and it, it seems to dilute the brand. So there was a time, like, on TV where there was a joke that Brian Potion had made, like, you know, people talk about violence in music, but nobody talks about how much Nickelback makes me want to murder Nickelback. Ha, 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 right. And that was run as a bumper, like, on, I don't know, some cable show, uh, Comedy Central or something. Mm-hmm. And it became funny to kind of poke fun at him. Anyway, long, long story short, I listened to a surprisingly large amount of Nickelback today, uh-huh. and I'm reminded of a conversation that I had with my son, which I had heard a song on the radio. as driving around... And I don't know, I have never in my wildest dreams gone out to look for us anything by this band ever. Mm-hmm. But they show up on like rock and roll radio here because they're a rock and roll, I'm saying that with air quotes, rock and roll band. And I said, I don't know why people like sort of crap all over this band. Like the music was totally inoffensive. It's not memorable. I don't know why anybody would get irritated by it. And my son said, that's exactly why they suck. Oh, huh. didn't really think of it that way. All right. And then uh, conversation just faded off into the ether until I had a flashback of it today, mm-hmm. when I was listening to this song "Photograph." And then something else occurred to me: this is a country song. All of their songs are country songs. They are a new country band. They're not a metal band in any way, shape, or form.
0: Oh, well, I mean, the, besides the fact that they just so you know just so happen to be on Roadrunner Records, that they ever come across as a metal band except for the... Well, I can't say I've heard their catalog. I think you've heard more of Nickelback than I have. But they used to do the theme song to Monday Night Raw, a song called Burn It to the Ground, which is a pretty heavy song. And guess what? If saying I like that song means I like Nickelback, then fine. F you. I like Nickelback. Because I like that song. That song was fine.
1: Yeah. Uh, Again, it sounds like a ton of their other songs. Yeah. But the songs that that became popular, the songs that like catapulted them into Grammy-winning territory, stuff like Photograph, it's all off the same record, right? Photograph, Rockstar, which is a dreadful song. Mm. And This Afternoon, It's Almost So Bad I Don't Want to Talk About It.
0: Those songs are all the same song. That album with Photograph may as well be Thriller because they had seven singles off of that album.
1: Yep, they sold 9 million thousand records. And yep. it wasn't just to like 17 people in Canada. It was all over the place. They toured here and they they play stadium fill and and sell it out. Yeah, So they have an audience. You know, there's an audience for this. And I think that the audience for this are the same people who, who will listen to this and the heavier stuff that they listen to but it doesn't they don't listen to it, listen to it, but they're the same people that go like from the, they could go see a Nickelback show tonight and then tomorrow go see Jason Aldean cuz it's the same sound. Or him? Rascal Flatts and it's the same sound. You see a
0: video you see a video of the audience and everybody's wearing like sunglasses and fake mustaches cuz they don't want to be seen at the Nickelback. Right, concert. right. yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Nickelback has become like we were saying at the very top of the show about Gary Busey. Nickelback has basically become a meme. They they're the band that people make fun of. They're not for me, but there's certainly worst milk toast bands out there. And, and we will like, be covering them. <laughs> like All right, so before we wrap up the show all together, all together now we do have our very popular trivia question. The trivia question was, Alfred Hitchcock had an irrational fear of something and he claimed he was a overphobe. What is an overphobe and or Ah. what was Alfred Hitchcock terrified of?
1: Well, Alfred Hitchcock as an overphobe would have never made a film like a prequel to The Birds because that film would have been called The Eggs, and eggs are what an overphobe is afraid of, yes, irrational.
0: Alfred Hitchcock had an irrational fear of eggs, which I don't know what, if it, like, in or out of the shell or I don't know. I don't know what it was that it just said I that he was, a fri- he was afraid of, yeah, it's irrational. So it's like pie. And you can't make pie without eggs.
1: So. Eggs, <laughs> eggs. Yes. All right. Oh, no, you can. You can bloody well make pie without eggs. Not a good one. Uh, fair enough. All right. All right, but that's
0: going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff.
1: Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly, or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. And better yet, throw us a ranking over at the Apple Podcast app a five-star ranking.